I've seen people tell stories where, you know, years later I remember it because there's something personal or unique in there. And then other ones where, yeah, halfway through I'm zoning out. So I, I think that's a key point. Give them some creativity and have them focus on like the specific personal points. You're listening to the Let's Talk Marketing podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? That's a great question. In short, it is going to be a good time. There is going to be great conversation and a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I get to explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I am here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. Now, in today's episode, we're covering how customer interviews can add value to marketing strategy with Dustin Tizik. Now, Dustin is the Vice President of Revenue at Testimonial Hero, where he assists marketing leaders in bridging trust gaps using customer video content. In addition to that, he's the host of the B2B Revenue Leaders podcast, where he engages in conversations with top executives and influencers in the B2B realm, sharing valuable insights on achieving faster and smarter revenue growth. So let's get started. Let's talk marketing with Dustin. Dustin, welcome to the Let's Talk Marketing podcast. I'm really excited to have you on here so that we can talk about some customer interviews and how we can connect that with marketing strategy. So thank you for coming on here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Before we do dive into it, I love for the audience to get to know my guests. So let's start off by getting to know, not the beginning of time. So let's fast forward to your first marketing role. What would you define as your first kind of quote unquote marketing role? Yeah, so I'm going to actually do two real quick because one, I wasn't really employed, but it was still kind of, I count it as a marketing role. I love it. So during my MBA, I realized I was learning all this theory, which is great, but no actual doing the marketing thing. So I started my own little e-commerce business, barely made enough money to pay for my lunch and coffee once in a while, but that was my first kind of foray into actual marketing. And then after that, I got hired as a digital marketing manager and analyst at Jostle, which was like a 25-person tech startup in Vancouver around that time. Wow. That's not normally what I hear. A lot of people dive into like the PR and the social media side. But digital marketing manager, I love that. Now, what is your current role? What do you do now? So now it's VP of revenue, which is marketing and sales kind of combined as one because I came up through sales actually, like actually selling textbooks door to door in colleges and philosophy profs slamming doors on my face and, you know, like the tried and true sales approach. And that's probably why I switched to marketing because I was tired of that. But now I get to do both. Wow. Door to door book sales. I'm not going to ask you how old you are because that is not a current trend. Unless you're selling solar, that's more door-to-door. -door. <laughs> about your current role, what is it that you love about what you do? But conversely, what, if anything, you could pluck out of it? Let's start with the positive. What do you love about what you're currently doing? Yeah, I like that we're a small team who moves fast and I actually have sales and marketing because we've all, maybe not all, but most of us have dealt with the sales, marketing, butting heads arguing about everything, all the conflict. We don't have that because I manage both teams, right? So that I really, really like. It's not so much what I don't like. I just wish we're going to grow. We're getting there. But having a bit more help on the analytics side and just pushing things out and not being as hands-on is something I'm trying to do more of as we're growing the team. Joining a startup, it's the pros and cons of that. And it's the best of times and the worst of times is kind of the way to look at it. 
That's so true. What's your secret to amicability between sales and marketing? Yeah, I mean, the easiest one is have them both on one team, which most companies don't have. But I think the other one is just have common incentives, goals, targets, because that's usually where it falls apart. You know, marketing gets MQL number, sales does not care, they just want revenue. And then that's when the conflict starts. Yeah, you've got to be able to make it mutually beneficial. It's one team, one dream. That sounded corny. I was at a company that had that on a shirt. So yeah, I get it. (laughs) There you go. Exactly. (laughs) I think when people think about marketing, they think of one team, one dream with a t-shirt. So as far as being in digital, I think one of the things that you kind of have to stay on top of is social media networks. And I don't know about you, we will soon find out. Typically, people will gravitate towards social media networks, sometimes for education, sometimes for inspiration, and then sometimes for entertainment. Do you use any social media networks for either of those at all? And when I say social networks, I'm not talking about podcasts. It's purely, you know, Twitter X, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. Do you go to any of these for inspiration, education, or entertainment? Mostly LinkedIn, like for work stuff. It's funny, I post a lot for LinkedIn because of work and I actually kind of like doing it. I do not post on other social media, really. I'm there to creep and kind of see like what other marketers are doing and, you know, what ads I'm getting and all that, but not super active. So yeah, primarily LinkedIn. And I've kind of been going through like curating who I'm following a bit more to focus on the learning side because I kept seeing the same people, the same stories, and it became a bit of an echo chamber. So I'm trying to curate my list a little bit to make it better. Ooh, I like it. Do you have top people that you follow that you would recommend? It depends what you listen to, really. I have a mix of sales and marketing. So for sales, I really like a lot of the stuff Alal does. He was actually an advisor here at Testimony Hero as well. And it's just really practical. I can bore a lot of it. And lately, this guy was a podcast guest on our podcast. Actually, I really like the stuff Logan Lyles is putting out okay. um, around like nearbound marketing specifically and like partner marketing, influencer marketing, how they're tying that together. So those are two go-tos lately that are putting out really good content. I love that. I hope all the listeners are jotting that down because I do think that as a marketer, have to curate that list of information and trends that you're getting, which is why I like asking that question. It's a great also segue for the next question. So take social networks out of the picture. How do you stay up to date on trends? Is there a newsletter? Is there a podcast? What do you do to stay up to date on digital marketing trends? Yeah, so there's a few podcasts I like, actually. And you probably heard these ones before. They're pretty popular. They have a good mix, I guess. But I do like Stacking Growth. I like Exit 5. There's a few. But really, I get most of my learning from inviting people who are smarter than me in particular is onto my podcast and then just asking them questions for 30 minutes. I do that once or twice a week. And that's honestly where I learn more than anything else. Oh my gosh. Same. Everyone should start a podcast. Very easy. It's a nice shortcut to learning. Yeah. It really is. It is something that I've enjoyed since I started a few years ago. And you're right. There's nothing like I will read an article or read a book or people will be recommended to me. And then I just have 12,000 questions that I want to ask them. And then once we get going, we get going. Are you ready to get going? Are you ready to talk marketing? And then I am ready. Yeah, let's talk marketing. (laughs) Exactly. What we're going to specifically talk about is customer interviews and how really they can add value to a marketing strategy. So this is going to sound again, very basic, but I'd love for you to define or explain what we're talking about when we talk about customer interviews, because I think a lot of people have different things in mind when they hear that? And concurrently, why do you think they're important for an effective marketing strategy? 
when people hear customer interviews, they think either product research type interviews or they think testimonial type interviews. I don't think they're mutually exclusive personally. And I think the best interviews kind of tie both together so that you can get as much as possible out of 45 minutes of your customer's time, which is really valuable. And in my opinion, the reason why it's important is if you don't understand your customer, you don't know what to write. You don't know who to market to. You don't know what matters or what people actually care about. And you're kind of in your own little ivory tower looking down, coming up with hypotheses of this is what I think these people want, but you're not actually talking to them and understanding it. So whether you create videos out of it or you just have the conversations, I think it's totally necessary to talk to your customers. Now, what are some of the challenges that you think marketers face when it comes to either setting up the interview? Is it setting up the interview? Who am I going to interview? Like, what are the questions that I want to ask? Give me some of the common challenges that you find marketers have. The common challenge we see a lot is actually making the ask and getting someone to agree to an interview. And a lot of times, and I've been in this position, it's not so much like getting rejected, it's being afraid to make the ask and making it more complicated than it needs to be. And that can be at a big company, you know, the customer is gatekept kind of by customer success, and maybe you don't have the best relationship there, or there's a bunch of ways. But to me, it's to simplify that, and this is going to sound kind of boring, but it's the first part that you have to do, is you have to build processes at different stages of the customer life to have those trigger points to get them into conversations. So whether it's a carrot dangling during the sales process of if you agree to a customer testimonial or interview six months from now, we'll give you 5% off. Whether it's upon renewal or a positive CSAT or a positive MPS, like you need those triggers. Otherwise, you're doing this ad hoc, build a list, run it by CS, get caught in that, and then it just becomes inertia and you never do it. So it sounds like some of the ways to overcome this common challenge of uh, trying to figure out who you're going to interview and what you're going to interview them for is creating what you just mentioned, which is trigger points for when you're going to do the ask. And it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, multiple trigger points can be incredibly effective. So you mentioned CSAT and NPS scores. I've always seen that to be really successful. But what are your thoughts on having the customer success team kind of help surface up some ideal customers? Yeah, I think that's important as well. And again, that kind of has to be a process or I found it doesn't happen. Like you'll get the odd customer success person who just does it intuitively. But I think having that as, you know, whether it's a quarterly business review that they run, having some way to checkbox, trigger, pass on notes to marketing and say, hey, this person has a really interesting story. And I think story is the key part. Like, it's not always about the biggest company, honestly. It's about the most compelling, relatable story. And CS does have their pulse there. So I think it's a mix of having those repeatable processes so they come in. And then, like you said, giving CS an easy way to hand raise and volunteer someone. I love the idea of storytelling in all of marketing. And not just in building the content. I think it's the thing that's the stickiest. It's the emotional hook for people. And you want to be able to build those out. So how do we get that story out of our customers? Because I'm bought into it. I'm sure the person that's listening is like, yeah, absolutely. I totally want that. How do I even tell that story? And I think oftentimes the big question mark for a marketer is, what do I even ask them, right? Like I think in our minds as marketers, we think in sort of like this case study box, of like, all right, what was your problem? What was your challenge? 
what did you need? How did you overcome it? What are your results? Right. And it's more of that, which is great for building a case study, but not for great for building a story, sir. So what's your advice on or tips on what do I ask them? How do I get that story out? What kind of questions can I ask to bring that out? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it does come down to, like you said, the strategic question and planning. And, you know, you said case study box. It's funny, we say a similar thing. We say like the case study mindset that people have of, like you said, problem, solution, result. And I think most social proof is too templatized like that. So think, do you actually read reviews when you go to G2 or you do you just skim and say there are 4.8 because it's asking the same questions over and over and over. So I think you need a unique question set for each of your customers. And the way we do it, we have like creative producers who that is essentially what they do all day is they write interview questions and they interview people. They do a lot of other stuff too, but that's like the bulk of their job and they're really good at it. And the way they do it is they think of it through the question, fears and doubts that that customer had at different stages of their journey as a buyer and a customer. So instead of just asking, and we do ask this because it's important too, but like, would you recommend us to someone and why? You also want to ask, think back to when you were researching to solve whatever problem you had. What was that problem? Why was it important? What were some sticking points or objections that you struggled with at that early stage so that you actually get relevant specific content that speaks to what that person was going through? And then you can build that into a compelling story rather than just a general recommendation video, which has its place. But I think if you're going to do a customer interview, you want multiple pieces of content around different topics that tell a coherent story. Yeah, I love the idea of multiple topics to cover a broader ground. But I'm also even wondering what your thoughts are or if you have some questions that marketers can ask customers to kind of help throughout the buyer's journey. Like, should we look at building out these questions based on the buyer's journey? Should we look at them based on who the buyer committee is or a campaign that we're pushing out? How can we really structure these questions to get the most bang for our buck? Because I'm sure we have a limited time and a limited amount of questions that we can ask or number of questions. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, I think the first step there, like the way we do it is mostly to our particular buyer journey and our go-to-market. So we think through top of funnel awareness in our case, that is primarily LinkedIn ads. That's our bread and butter channel. So we think through that as we ask questions. What questions can we ask that will be a compelling top of funnel ad? At that point, no one wants to hear someone saying, testimonial hero is great because XYZ, because they don't know who we are, they don't care. They want to hear, you know, what is the value of our category and product or service? So someone saying, testimonial videos are important because XYZ, we need to get our customer to answer that question if we want to run it as a top of funnel ad. And then we kind of go down the funnel from there to, you know, remarketing can be more general recommendations. So that's kind of the more basic questions of, would you recommend us to a friend? What has the return been? What has this been like? What is the before and after? And then we think all the way through to sales enablement and even renewal, where we ask questions around objections they had during the sales cycle, what did they overcome? Did they switch to us from a competitor so we can get you know a killer competitive replacement video? Even stuff around the status quo, like what would life be like without us if you stayed on the old way? Because that becomes a really compelling sales piece. And then last one kind of on the CS renewal side is how have things changed, but also what are your future plans with us? And if you have a product that you have someone who's a beta tester, you have a new product, you can talk about that customer's growth path with, with your company. And CS can use that to 
help upsell, expand existing accounts. So maybe a convoluted answer, but it comes down to the go-to-market or the holes you need to fill. Think strategically and then write questions that address those. I think that you dropped some really good inspiration questions that can really get the hamster on the wheel and really burning those calories on that wheel too. So I think that those are a great place to start for anybody who is listening. And then I think kind of my next follow-up question to sort of the questions is because listen, I obviously I interview people all the time. I've done it throughout my career for the case studies to tell the story, right? I've also done a ton of surveys and what I've typically run into, especially when you're putting these questions together and trying to build the story out is when you involve other leadership teams, that question list tends to get real long. They want to ask all of the questions and then what turns into, you know, maybe a 30 minute ask originally is like an hour and a half and you know, your customer is going to get fatigued. So here's my question. I'm landing the plane. My question is, is there kind of like a recommended number of questions to ask as well as a recommended time to like ask those questions to make it easy enough for the customer to say yes, and but also meaningful enough so that you get the content that you want? Yeah. So we find anything over 45 minutes for an interview can be a bit much. You get some people who just really like to talk. So you'll schedule 30 minutes and it becomes an hour and a half and that's fine. You're building a good relationship there. But we try to keep the question set to about 12, maybe 15, but 12-ish questions with the caveat there of we are going to drill down into some of those questions based on the responses. So that's another thing our creative producers do is they write the questions and then they have follow-up questions jotted down just in case because say hate to stereotype here but say it's like an engineer or an it person who's not used to being on camera or talking and you get a four-word answer you need to drill down and follow up it can't just be like okay cool on to the next question let's stick to the script so we keep it at 12 so that we have that wiggle room to picture it like a flow chart kind of step downy type thing to ask the questions and dig a bit which i'm sure you do on the podcast all the time but for people who don't interview a lot it's really hard to interview people. Like it's not an easy skill. I would agree a thousand percent. And I have learned that the hard way that there's some people that are only going to give you forward answers or they're going to answer the question that you ask, which I know sounds like really obvious. There is this one creator who I think is amazing. His name is Vin and he calls it conversation threading. So give people multiple points to be able to answer within one question that you're answering them or that you're asking them to let them choose what it is they're going to answer. But it gives you like a more organic way to ask that follow-up question. Really great advice. I love like what you talked about in regards to like visualizing like a flow chart of those questions and having the and 45 minutes, such a sweet spot. Do you recommend incentivizing a customer? And if so, what are the incentives that you have found to be really successful when you are trying to land that customer interview? Yeah. So we incentivize maybe not in traditional ways, and I'm not against doing the traditional gift card. I've done this with G2 reviews a million times, for example, right? Where $20 gift card, yeah, it's the review game. Like we all do it. We try to build it into a bit of a give and take where we can. So it's like a bit of a reciprocal thing. So it's kind of surprising, but one of our most successful ways that I mentioned before is actually building it into the sales process. So salespeople don't like to give discounts, but if we're going to, let's get something upon satisfaction. Can you leave us a clutch review? In our case, because we're a services company, G2 if you're software, 
and agree to do a testimonial. If you're not happy with the service, like obviously you don't have to do that and you don't force them, but planting the seed early. And same thing upon renewal, upsell, any of that, like tying it into anything you're going to give them is a great way to ask, would you also do this? That being said, a lot of the times we don't have to incentivize because CS works closely with us on identifying the customers who we know are super happy and will just say yes and sing our praises from the rooftops. So we have a mix. Incentivize when you have to, for sure. Build that into the process, but you probably have some low-hanging fruit customers who are like telling their friends about you anyways that will just get on video and happily do it. I love that. Now, how... Well, this is going to be a loaded question because also you're a revenue guy, right? So you're the guy that I'm always having to defend like my marketing initiatives too, right? I'm running this brand awareness campaign, but what does that mean to my bottom line? So I guess what I'm asking is how do you show the return on investment of customer interviews and investing? Because it's time consuming. It really is because you have to build a relationship. It is taking that time because you don't want to just ask anyone. Someone's got to have that relationship. So what is that return on investment that I as a marketer can say, hey, this is a valuable thing for us to do and this is why? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think there's a bunch of intangible stuff that I'll go into later because Mr. CFO does not care. Exactly, exactly. About the intangibles of, you know, connecting with your customer and, you know, influencing renewal, using their words to write copy on the website to save you time and, you know, increase conversion rate. There's a whole bunch of that stuff as a marketer, you completely understand. The way we tie it is we think about, you know, we're a video company. So in our case, where are these videos going to live and how do we measure them? So we're not going to measure a cold LinkedIn ad on how many people clicked on this video ad and immediately filled out a demo form and bought from us because that's not reality. Like, I wish it was. It would make my job really, really easy. It would make everybody's job so much easier if we could just deliver that information. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're B2C, actually, you probably can measure it that way because they're going to click and buy and it's an impulse buy. But if you're selling $20,000 software, not going to happen. So we think through how you're going to measure top of funnel and you know, the sales enablement side and talk about how that influences revenue. So in our case, for top of funnel, we have a target account list. So that's how we run our LinkedIn. If you're at a tech company of a certain size, you're probably seeing our ads. You know, there's 6,000 of them. That's our market. We want all of them to be customers. So I look at how many of them interacted with our ad, made it to the remarketing funnel, how many clicked through and went to our website. So like through reverse IP tracking, how many of them saw an ad engaged, went to our website. And I'm counting that as a win. Is it revenue right now? No. But we need to add those up and see, you know, what how, what is our penetration of getting our ICP to actually come to our website and become aware of us? That's hard to quantify. What we do find, though, is having self-reported attribution, we directly see people reference our videos. You know, I saw this video on LinkedIn. I got this video in a cold email. So you can quantify and categorize there to get a hard number for your CFO. But talking to a marketing leader, I think you need to think through top of funnel, how am I measuring it? Sales enablement. If you use Highspot or something, it makes it easier. If not, what percentage of deals that closed did we send one of these videos to? Is there a higher win rate when we do it? But I think you need to take this holistic approach to actually understand where they live, what they do. I actually love that it is kind of a bit of a long answer because I think that's a lot more honest than what most people think, right? I think too often 
from a marketing perspective, we're looking for a silver bullet, right? It's that one video that brought me this many leads that got this. And you're right. Like if it is B2C, maybe you can do that. But also, is that customer the one that's going to stay because they made that impulse buy, right? So then you're looking at the lifetime value. There are so many numbers. It is in the same way that I think that customer interviews is all about pulling out the story. I think the data is very much so about pulling out the story. Like what story is this data telling me? And on that data kind of path that I was mentally going on, I'm interested in understanding how you quantify or qualify the information or the content that you're getting from these customer interviews. Are you looking for specific phrases? Obviously, in one of those questions, would you recommend yes or no, right? And then that's like something that we can quantify. But what about the qualitative? How are we looking at the information that we're getting from these customer interviews? Yeah, so there's two parts here. What I'm going to go is just a practical tip, and then I'll talk maybe a bit broader about it. But one practical tip is you probably have something you want that particular customer to say about you if you're going to use the content externally. So quick story on our case, one of our common objections is I already have a video company. Why would I work with you guys? So we, luckily enough, they gave us a testimonial. They are giant. They obviously do video better than almost anyone. So going into that, we wanted a direct quote saying, I have an internal video team, but I use Testimony Hero because it scales better and blah, 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 blah. Like we wanted that quote. So we thought about that ahead of time and built that into the question set. So there's one kind of qualitative tip is think about what is the two sentences you want this customer to say. And we're not going to script it, but we are going to strategically think about what question can I ask to get to that answer so they have that golden nugget ad that they can run. So I think that's one part. And then on the qualitative side as well, I think it's important to categorize all the content in a clean way so you can go back to it. So flag comments as objections, pain points, service, price, you know, all the typical points that you can flag so that you have, in our case, it's a Google sheet. It's not super high tech, but we can go back and then pull customer stories that we want to use in our marketing and sales, but also look qualitatively of, anecdotally, this comment is coming up a lot. You know, customers actually care about XYZ because they mentioned it 12 times. We should probably put that on our homepage. So I think there's that aspect of well of just having it in one place so you can view it in like a clean table is how we do it. I love that. It's never boring when you're talking about process. I think it's totally the unsung hero. Anybody that knows me will get a good chuckle of that because I'm a process oriented person. But I'm also kind of curious about even that Google Doc that you're talking about. It's great when it's your team that's taking a look at it and, you know, marketers are putting it on the website. But how can I articulate that internally? How do I give that information to the sales team? Not just give them the information, because I think that's, to me, one of the friction points often between marketing and sales marketing's like, I'm giving you all this stuff and sales is like, but I can't use it because they don't understand how to use it. So what's your advice on telling the story of, you know, the information that you're getting internally so that it can be something actionable for everybody? Yeah. So I think the short of it is you have to make it easy and repeatable for them. So as someone who's been in sales for a long time, I can say this about salespeople, they have their same three or four favorite stories or PDF case studies that live on their desktop and are out of date and they send them out over and over again and they don't care if it works. So I think building it into the process, whether it's in the templatized follow-up email that you know most salespeople have after a demo of 
we talked about XYZ. These are the pain points here, how we could help. Could be whatever format. Have a place in there that links out that customer story database to have them sift through and pull one that's relevant and make it sortable. So in our case, sales has a really simple Google Sheet where industry, persona, talking point, essentially. And they can just pull out the story that way. Eventually, they'll internalize them and on sales calls, they'll start parroting back. Oh, this customer did that too. They're a lot like you, which is gold in a sales context. But you need to enable it by like repeatedly surfacing the information for them because they won't go dig ever. <laughs> like They just want to use the same thing, close some deals, make some money, right? So you need to surface it for them. Yeah, that's a really great tip. And I think that you're right. They probably do have it saved on their desktop. I've worked with enough sales teams. So it's that that's the part that's always the big question mark for me. Like, how can I empower them? How can I tell them the story? As if like they're telling a story from this weekend. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want my sales team to be able to deliver it like it's one of their memories that they are just retelling over and over again. And the more you retell it, the better the story gets. Am I right? I mean, maybe a little bit embellished, but it's a good story. I think one other thing there too, we don't do it here because we're small enough and marketing and sales are together. But at a previous company, we would have like, basically customer story time would be the short of how I would explain it. But we had a revenue team meeting. CS had their block at the end where they did their numbers. You know, this is the renewal rate, net renewal, CSAT score, et cetera. But then there was story time at the end where they would highlight a couple customer stories, something unique they were doing in the product, why they renewed and expanded to a new department, like take whatever story you want. But they would tell that story with sales and marketing there so that they hear it, internalize it. And then, yeah, it's a great way to share the content. I love it. It puts a lot of pressure on the person that's telling the story because I also think that's the other half of the battle as well, too. Because I've been in meetings where they do something similar. They don't call it story time, but I love that. But the person that's delivering it almost reads it like it's bullet points, right? And that's really tough to engage with. So you have to really get a crafted storyteller to be able to tell the story so that then like the sales team does that as well, too. Yeah, I've seen both sides of that. I've seen people tell stories where, you know, years later, I remember it because there's something personal or unique in there. And then other ones where, yeah, halfway through I'm zoning out. So I, I think that's a key point. Give them some creativity and have them focus on like the specific personal points. So the story is memorable. I love that. I could talk to you forever about this. Definitely something I'm incredibly passionate about customer interviews and, you know, how they can really make an effective marketing strategy. I do have one final question for you before I let you go. And it's the final question that I ask everybody. If you knew then what you know now, what's this marketing advice or life advice that you give to yourself? Yeah, I wish I had some nugget of life advice, but I don't right now. So I can think of a marketing one. But I think, you know, looking back 10 years ago when I started marketing, what I would tell myself is don't just focus on the short-term measurable stuff because you're going to end up chasing your tail. And whether that short-term measurable stuff is like, your Google ads campaign or whatever it is where, you know, people see something, they click, they buy. Don't just do that. Like think long-term, think about stuff that isn't going to pay off for 12 to 18 months and build that into your strategy. If not, you get to the point of where you're just continually chasing that next short-term thing. So yeah, hopefully that's a bit of wisdom that people listen to. That's what we're listening for. We're listening for wisdom nuggets that people can walk away with. Well, Dustin, thank you so much for coming on here and, you know, geeking out on customer interviews with me and all of the insights that you shared. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. Well, I hope that you all found a ton of value or at least as much 
value as I found in the conversation with Dustin. I've got your key takeaways for this episode. Let's dive into it. Number one, the importance of customer interviews for effective marketing. Now, during our chat, Dustin emphasized the role of customer interviews in kind of crafting a successful marketing strategy. These interviews, which often intertwine product research and testimonial aspects, provide essential insights into customer needs and interests. Without a solid understanding of the customer, marketers risk really creating the content that fails to resonate with their target audience. You have to know your customers. The best customer interviews tie product research and testimonial style to maximize the short time that you have with these customers during the interviews. Without a true understanding of the customer, marketers are really left just kind of making guesses about what their audience wants rather than basing their strategies on solid firsthand insights. Marinate on that one a little bit, right? Number two, overcoming challenges in setting up customer interviews. Okay. So one of the most common hurdles in setting up customer interviews is actually making the request and getting a customer to agree to participate, getting them to say yes. With that in mind, I would say simplify by establishing a process at different stages of the customer's life to trigger these interview opportunities. So for example, that process can be during contract negotiations, even before they become the customer and they sign on that line, right? It can be during onboarding, but knowing when there are different opportunities to ask for the interviews that can really help set you up for success and overcome kind of that challenge. Also, it gives everybody else within the company an idea of when they can also ask. So as a marketer, don't think that you have to be the only one that does the ask. Sometimes the ask is internal so that the customer can you know, feel to that request from the person that they have that relationship with inside the company. And sometimes that's not always the marketer, right? It ideally would be the community leader, but it's also oftentimes the customer service rep, as well as the sales rep who sold them. And the last key takeaway it's all about telling a customer's story. Now, the importance of storytelling in customer interviews cannot be overstated. It's really about having a unique question set for each customer to create a compelling and relatable story rather than just general recommendations. From there, you build your story around the answers to those questions. Now, every customer is unique. Even if you are selling them and they are all buying the same product understanding their pain points and challenges, because my friends, they're all different for every customer, but really understanding those pain points and challenges at the moment are vital in setting up the plot, identifying the characters and establishing the hook of the story. Storytelling is vital. As a content and a community marketer, that's me, that's my jam. Storytelling is really the foundation of so much great marketing, so much great content. I know it also can often sound like just a bunch of marketing jargon, but I promise you that it is not. Now, I would love to hear the nuggets of insights you walked away with from today's episode. Subscribe and follow on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just listen, send me a note, tell me what you liked, give us some stars. 
A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team at Content Allies. Check out the episode page to learn more about Dustin specifically, and definitely feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. You can find me under Katya Allison. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off. 